passion for your honor to learn more about you right now as you open up your word. Speak to us and through us, Lord Jesus, during this time. Lord, I pray by your grace that you would speak through me. That the people of God, that we would all be encouraged what you've done in your world and what you've done to your world and what you've done to and through us, Lord. Holy Spirit, bring honor and glory to Christ. We ask that people would become Christians and that Christians right now would be encouraged to fight the fight with great passion and determination and excitement and that we would all learn a little more about who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, you may be seated or you can just kind of, I know this is a stamina issue. This is new for a lot of us, this length. So if you need to stretch or like, you know, tap somebody three times, like, do what you got to do to keep, keep it going, y'all, because we are we exalting Christ here in order to make sure that, you don't, that we don't get tired out and we miss the word. You know what I'm saying? So um, praise God again. I want to thank the Lord for uh, the opportunity to be able to sing with the people of God and see our, our worship team just lead us with great courage and passion. Thank you guys so much. Um, the Lord has risen, and we are here to celebrate and exalt him. Um, this is a time right now as, guys, we have babies in here, but I want us to just be able to, be able to focus. This is a time where there's a lot of questions that people have, right? Um, we're excited. We're, we're celebrating Jesus, but this is a time where you, you really need to ask a lot of questions. If you're a believer, if you're an unbeliever, uh, you're asking yourself questions like, what happens to the world, right? You're you're asking, you, you have to ask the question when you're talking about death and resurrection, you, you might want to be thinking about, well, what happens when I die? Right? What, happens, what, happens to, what happens to people when they die? Then as you think about that, you, you look around the world and you see, sadly, uh, things aren't the way they should be. And you're like, well, are, things, are we always going to have evil? Like what? Like there's this God who's great and good that we're singing about. So, so what's going to happen to all of this? In a pluralistic age, we, 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 we kind of try to down, dumb down the reality that there is truth. And, and a reason, one of the reasons why Christianity is awesome, but yet it's just not tolerated in our world, because we're not saying something as simple as like, hey, you know, Jesus was this great guy. He, he lived on earth. He did a lot of really cool things. He even did some miracles, some, some, some supernatural things, and and he had a lot of good teachings for us. And, and you can be a really nice girl and guy, too, um, if you live like him and walk like him and do the things he did. The world, to the world, we have a lot of those kind of individuals where we follow kind of the moral compass of people. And then we, we, we expect us, we expect people to, to, to gird their whole lives and to shape their whole lives because of, of something, that, something good that people modeled. But guys, that still doesn't answer any of the questions I just brought up. Just for me to follow good because, he's, because he does a lot of good things or he, he's a really good person just doesn't. And that's where Christianity comes in and does something very different than every other philosophy and every other religion. Jesus doesn't just give us a good guy. He doesn't give you just a guy who did some good things. Jesus doesn't just give us a guy who, who lived a good life, right? But what Jesus does is he does something in history, and he bases everything on the fact of the cross and the resurrection. 
And so Jesus does all those things. And then he says that, hey, I want you to know that you have a sin problem and it needs to be paid for. And then I'm going to die. Wait a minute. But everybody stays dead. Everybody dies. But I'm going to do something very different. I'm going to claim something that no one else claimed. I'm going to rise from the dead. And what that's going to do is that's going to validate a lot of stuff. See, now if that's true, see, he, he, didn't, he didn't ask you to, to dedicate your lives and to dedicate your heart and everything you do on a philosophy. That's the difference. You're not sitting here because he was nicer than Fred. Right? You're sitting in here because he says, well, I'm going to do all that and be perfect, but then I'm going to be no sin and become sin on your behalf. And if I do that, if I prove that, now we got some work to do. And that's what happens in the scriptures, guys. What I want to do, because we have just had so much truth today, I'm just filled up, right? The songs we're singing, the words we're preaching, the kids quoting verses. What I want to do is I want to take you back and I want to ask of some ground rules here um, as a body. I want to take you back real quick and, and have you put on your, your first century glasses so that we can see how they saw back then. Because people had those same kind of questions and they had people walking around being really good teachers, but only Jesus was the one who said, I'm going to die and rise from the dead and I'm going to end all this pluralism. All things aren't equal. All philosophies, all philosophies aren't the same. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to make that clear and then you're going to have work to do. You're going to have to choose. You and I are going to have to choose. Will we think and have the audacity to think we can just get by by having a good moral compass and a vain philosophy or will we experience the pain and experience true life? That's the claim. And guys, that's a hard claim for those of us who are God has to work in your life to want to receive the fact that you need Jesus. So what I'm going to do, we're going to read through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start at, at verse 12 and go all the way through to the end of the chapter. And I'm going to make some comments because Paul is trying to answer and have a discussion, a conversation to answer for these people. To set the stage for you, it's happening around the 50s and 60s A.D. This is kind of this is the first generation of people who have been around Jesus. Think about it. you got your first century glasses on. Consider this, guys. So these guys, you know, right now we're like, man, well, I wish I could have seen what happened. Maybe I'll believe more and all this. Well, guess what? These guys were living. They, they were, people were still alive who saw the crucifixion. Okay? During this time. And that's why Paul, earlier in the verses, we can't go there for the sake of time, he says, hey, I want to tell you, you need to believe the gospel. And, pe- and Jesus rose from the dead, and people saw him, right? And then if you don't believe that people actually saw him, I love that he, today, I can't point to people, right? He actually can say in the scriptures, in 1 Corinthians, read the beginning, he said, if you don't believe me, ask some of the other people who are alive, you know, do down the street, he's still alive. And he, he basically points to people in the community and says, there's people still alive who can tell you that they witnessed this. Now, think about that for a moment. As a first century Jew, think about this. You're in, a, you're in a world where it's all controlled by the most powerful government in the known world at the time, Rome. 
and they are very serious about their power. They want their power. And you have this ragamuffin guy who comes in and he tears the whole world upside down. And people start serving him and wanting to follow him and give their lives and sacrifice to him. And they're like, oh, my goodness, this guy is actually going to dethrone the government if this keeps up. We got to take all of our power and we got to do everything we can to make sure that this guy doesn't succeed. We're talking about Jesus. All they had to do when he died, all they had to do, guys, was find a body. All they had to do was to show that a dead man stayed dead. That's all they had to do. And guess what? You and I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be worshiping right now. And this is what Paul is talking about in the text. But that didn't happen. Let me read for you. So you got these, you got this crazy, you got this intense, crazy city, a lot of culture going on here. Very big influence. The, the, uh, Corinth, the Corinth is the place we're talking about. Many people have been converted. You got people converting from paganism. That's just not believing that there's a God and is doing your own thing or having different kind of gods. And people are saying, I want to follow Jesus. But guess what? They had trying to break some habits, and that was kind of hard for them. Anyone, and you got testimony of people got habits that's hard to break in Christ, right? <laughs> And so Paul is like, well, let me talk to you. Let me, let me tell you some stuff about what God is doing in the world and what he's doing in your life. So I hope you get encouraged to hear why the resurrection matters, guys. So if I was to title this, I would say, uh, the pur- what's the purpose of the resurrection? Why, why, what's the reasoning behind God rising from the dead? Let's start in verse 12. I'm going to read a lot, and then I'm going to pause and read some more. And, and stick with me as you hope through the word of God, just, 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 die, just be in your heart. It says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, this is Paul talking. He says, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So he makes a bold statement. Christ has been raised, so how can you say there's no resurrection from the dead, right? He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And so you had a group of religious people called the, 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 the Sadducees who did not believe in a resurrection. Right, and so these are actually individuals. They're like, we don't believe in the resurrection. He's like, no, we. Jesus rose, can't find a body. People literally dying for this guy. At that point, and if Christ has not been raised from the been raised, look at this guy, verse fourteen. Then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom. He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Saying you, we're not only is this dumb, but we're, just, we're lying on God because we're saying God said that he rose Jesus. So if this is not the case, he's saying this is all futile. What are you doing? He says, verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. These are some big things you got to deal with. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, not only is your life folly because you've been giving your life, spending your time, doing all this stuff for this Jesus guy, but guess what? You're still in your sins. Somebody still has to pay for your sins to a holy God. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He says, if this is not true, then you got people who are still in our sins, but then those who have died, guess what? They have no hope. There's no hope for those who die. Which, that question we have, what happens when you die? What, what happens? He says, if in Christ, verse 19, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this is, if this is a farce, if this is just, you know, we, we just made this up. You know, we just had a, we try, we try to figure out how, how do we become happy people? How do we make sure people are nice as they can be? And we, we just made up Jesus, right? 
This is, some, this is what some people in the world will tell you, that Christianity is a crutch. It's an opportunity for you and me to just be nice, to make sure that we can keep our world safe, fill in the blanks. It's, it's, it's an opportunity to have a moral compass. But look, Paul says, wait a minute, though, verse 20. He says, but, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He says, yeah, that's, that, that, that would be a mess. That would be messed up if you put your, your claim in a lie. But he says, but you got to remember, guys, we're, we're, in a, we're in a generation where we actually know what happened. Some of us, many of us, were at the cross, and we're going, oh, my goodness. Now, he says, died. He talks about that in earlier. He says, some people have already died, but there's a lot of individuals walking around right now as, he's, as his letter is going around to different churches who were literally there when their Savior was up on the cross. Can you imagine that? Beaten, the bugs flying around him. The executioners realizing how to actually kill him and stabbing him with the spear. They were there. They were there and they saw Jesus look while he barely probably could see because his eyes were probably so bloody and his head was so just, I mean, can you imagine, just imagine how messed up his face was? He's, and he looks down, he barely could see his mommy says, hey, take John, this is your mother. And, he, and he, he starts still talking commands and here's how I want you to treat each other. He's talking from the cross and they were there when he screamed, it is finished. They were there. So he says, hey, don't believe the hype, y'all. I know it's hard. I know living by faith is hard. But man, God gave the first century Jews some extra grace, man. Because then they were there to see people. See, he rose from the dead and they, and they saw him appear. People saw this. This happened. And so he's, he's trying to remind him. He says, hey, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, look at that, first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Why do you use that word first fruits? In your Bible, you want to circle first fruits. First fruits simply mean that he's the, he's the beginning of something that's going to happen. He's kind of a commercial. I'll explain that in a moment. Verse 21, verse 21, for as by man came death, by a man has, also, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. So there's an assumption here that I want to make, that I make very clear that we can get is that he's talking the gospel here. We've heard the gospel. I don't know if you got that. Our youth did a great job of, of presenting the gospel this morning. That was the gospel. Simply put, that you have a holy God who's holy, perfect, and just, who has no voids. He's not sitting around going, only if I would be complete if I had this. I wish I had this. Let me have no voice. We can't imagine that as humans because we walk around. We do so much stuff out of insecurity. We do so much stuff out of void, right? But God creates us out of abundance, out of abundance of love and passion and mercy. God is the only one who says, man, I have so much of this I got to create. And he creates us, the Bible says, value, purpose, and worth. And then we had an opportunity to experience God, the fullness of God, be in fellowship with God. And then our own audacity, we began to think we could be our own guys and we sin. And it says in the scriptures, the fellowship with God was broken. And God could have and should have destroyed us all. But the Bible says also that he's rich in mercy. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read that. He's rich in mercy. He didn't do that. Instead, what he did was he allowed us to experience being on this earth and, and, and almost going through the years and realizing just how messed up we are. <laughs> and instead of allowing us to totally decreate and destroy ourselves and implode, which we would if, he, if we were left into our own evil and our own flesh, God says, I'm going to send a rescuer. 
What I'm going to do is I'm not going to leave you with these strongholds that we all know we have, with the pains that we have in this world. I'm not going to leave you with the sorrow and the brokenness that this world offers because of sin and death. But I'm a sinner rescuer who's going to allow you not to have to pay for your sin. But even before that, he made it very clear, you have sin and you need to pay for it. And that's where all those sacrifices, if you understand history, allow the, that these individuals who understood who God was, realized God was holy, and they had to sacrifice animals and goats and calves. And, and God said, I want you to do that to realize you need, there needs to be bloodshed for your evil. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to one day send a rescuer, Jesus, who walks the earth, heals and loves and sacrificially lays down his life as a perfect sacrifice so that all who will come to him and believe in him and repent of their sin and say, Lord, I don't want to be God anymore. I want you to be my God. He says, guess what? God will pay for your sin. Say, in, the, in Jesus' sacrifice, the Bible says, you've been crucified with him. That literally, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, something supernatural happens that we don't see, but we know. And that is now I am free from my own sin and I won't experience death. And evil has all been destroyed because of my Savior. That's the assumption here. That's what he's talking about here, guys, when he says that, man, there was that the first man brought death. But also in Christ, you don't stay dead. Christ brings the resurrection of the dead, as it were. He assumes the gospel here. Now, just one, you know, if I can just give you uh, something that I think is so beautiful that happens in that time, and this is a, a, a theological seminary word, it's called uh, double imputation. All right, I, I say that because I paid a lot for seminary, so sometimes I want to use big words to justify my degree. But let me, let me give you simply, simply meaning what double imputation means is it's actually talking about something that's very significant that happens to you and me when we become a Christian. And young people, I want you to hear this because... See, you grow up in church, and you start you singing these songs and stuff, and man, I'm praying for our young people and our old people alike. Man, I pray that this wouldn't be just good information for you. I pray you would consider this happening in history. What happens when Jesus dies on that cross, and he gives you the grace to say, and you know, last year, you know what I'm saying, Carl said, man, I want to I walk with Jesus Christ. When that happened, Carl, you know, you know what happened? God, just in his power and his mercy, he like took you back to the cross, and something happened. Your sin was paid for, right? So, so it's double imputation is that basically your sin was put on Jesus. Literally, all the sin of all of those who are in this room who said, I can't do this. I can't just live a good life and be, but Lord, you have give you my life. He says, your sin has been put on Christ, imputed into him, right? But guess what? That's him forgiving you of your sin and cleansing you. But wait a minute, though. If that's it, we still got a problem, y'all. Because you're still not righteous. If all God just pay for your sin, that would be really cool. Thanks, God. But guess what? I'm still not righteous. What he does, he doesn't just pay for our sin. He then also, this blows me away. Maybe you're just not as jacked up as I am. Then Jesus took his righteousness and he imputed it on you. He made you righteous. So you don't have to walk around trying to be right. You are righteous. You are holy. We are perfect because of what Christ did. That blows me away. Double imputation. That he takes your sin, gives you righteousness. That's what happens for all of us. 
We become his. We seize our sin. We receive his righteousness. Look what it says, though. It says, verse 23, he's talking to these people. He says, hey, so he, I wanted to make sure within the gospel, that's what's happened. You had this Adam bringing in sin, <laughs> Jesus bringing in resurrection. But each in his own order. He says, hey, let's talk about what's going on in resurrection. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when, he's, when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Talking about when he says that all things, he accepted the one, Jesus, who actually is putting all things under subjection to him. Verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all saying that this is a beautiful work of what's going on in the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a term that's used in the Bible, uh, not the Trinity, but it's a concept that you have each person being fully God, right? So you have one God, each person being fully God, in distinct persons, right? And you go, well, what does all that mean? We don't know. What we do know is that the Bible makes it clear that there's a, there's a relationship between the Godhead. And you get to see the beauty of the relationship because you don't see any jealousy. You don't see any, well, why I got to put the kingdom under you, Father? You don't see any of this. You see the, you see the Holy Spirit giving honor and glory to Jesus. You see the Holy, you see the Jesus putting the kingdom, giving it to the Father. And at the end of the scriptures, you'll see the Father giving the kingdom back to Jesus. Beautiful story. So uh, Alicia was asking, how do I explain making, making you righteous, making you perfect? We're talking about what does it mean to be holy? Is that God is perfect and holy and that we can't be in God's presence because he can't, in his nature, he can't be within, in the presence of sin and operating with sin. And so what God does is he takes Jesus, who is perfect and holy, who's, who's without blemish, and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you his righteousness so that when, you see, when he sees us, he doesn't see our sin, our shame, our issues sees the blood of his son being paid out on his people. That's what I mean. And it's a great freedom because now that means we can now be who God wants us to be. So now don't get me wrong. You're going, well, I don't feel righteous. Okay. I think it's talking about many of us, all of us are going through this journey where we're becoming more like Jesus. So Jesus gives us, I love the freedom. When you know something, you don't have to work toward it. You don't have to earn it and you have more freedom. Right. That's what that's what I feel like what Christianity does. That's what the Lord has done. He's saying, I want you to experience the freedom of being holy and perfect. It's who I've made you. Right. You're not working toward it. It's who I've made you. So now I get this beautiful road of life where I get to learn what does it mean to be like who I am. So you're already perfect now, but God is making you more like him each day. But you're never trying to be holy. You are holy. The day Jesus saves you. Amen. Hear me there, guys. I don't, we already, like, 40 minutes over. I'm going to keep rolling. I hope that's helpful, sis. Can I, can I hit one assumption real quick? We're talking about resurrection. Um, can I, I don't, I don't want to assume anything, so let me just make sure we understand what we mean by resurrection. Okay? Resurrection, according to the, the, the scriptures, is not an apparition. Okay? 
is not talking about you're going to be raised. Jesus isn't talking about you're going to be raised like a, okay? Because you might be wondering, well, what does it mean? What's going to happen when I die? What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? And this is what he's trying to encourage the people in. He's saying, hey, I want you to understand what's going to happen, what your journey is going to be like as a Christian. It's not apparition. It's not kind of Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of stuff. You know, it's not dying and then becoming an immaterial being. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Understand what, what the Bible's saying. It's not, it's not a real being like a ghost who float off into the afterlife. I know I used to believe that. Maybe some of us can be, be believe, we really believe in that, and that's okay. That's why we're here to talk about what is the Bible saying. It's not dying and becoming a person. Okay, you're not going to die and then become something like another person. Um, it never means, resurrection never means the immortality of the soul. That's not the goal. The goal isn't that your flesh you know, dies and goes somewhere, and now you're just this soul spirit floating around. That's not what the first century Jew thought. That's not what Jesus modeled. That's not what they taught in the scriptures here. I would propose that's more Platonism. That's Plato. That's a, a, a philosopher who, who thought that the body was weighing him down and that he, we need to be free and so kind of like bad body, bad material, good spirit, and one day God is going to make us all spirit and we're going to be in the spiritual world somewhere. Okay. Now, I might be roughing some feathers, but that's okay. Hopefully, I'm trying to show you what is going on when the, when the Bible talks resurrection. But what resurrection means, as we look at the text, is that a person dies, they are dead, not for a few minutes, because that's resuscitation, not resurrection. Okay? But the Bible is saying that a person dies, and guess what? And then they rise again as the same person. That's resurrection, according to the scripture. I'm, I want to prove that as we continue to go, so you don't think I'm just saying that. He's saying, here's, here's God's point there. The reason why he does that is because God is saying, yes, that Jesus you saw die? Yes, what I, who I said he was, what I said he was about, he's actually about that. He's actually who I said he was. That guy right there who just rose from the dead, he's who I said he was. He is God. He is the one to pay for your sin. See, that's the thing is the, the resurrection, as it were, first validates the gospel. That's what it does. It validates that God is who he said he was by rising from the dead. Another... Um, as we think of the purpose of the resurrection, another thing I want us to, to, to kind of get in our minds, so that's resurrection, is that resurrection is producing, as it were, the promise of hope. That, that one of the main purposes of the resurrection, as you think of resurrection as a Christian, is that it's supposed to build like a, a passion of hope, of future grace in your heart, where you're, you're like, oh, that's who I am. That's what I'm going to be about. But before we can go there, let me give you a couple assumptions that, to make sure we, we make, make sure these are clear. Here is, here is how we think about the future a lot of times before we clear up the assumptions. We can either think about the future um, as, an, as an agnostic. Okay, what that simply means is a person who believes that, that there, is, there is a God, but it, they believe in deism, there's a God. Maybe some of you believe there's a God. But you believe he's totally removed from you, so he kind of got the world started, created things, and stepped off, okay? And so that person, if, you, if that's the way the world is, then obviously you're like, well, I'm on my own now. And so I propose that an agnostic, not just, I mean, from 20 years of Christian ministry, 
when I meet an agnostic, they're not thinking about this because they're thinking, hey, do as much as I can now because one day I'll be worm food. Okay? It's being honest. Or you have an atheist. This is a person who does not believe that there is a God. And so both are in kind of the same camp because there's, there's no hope as far as what's going to happen after you die. In fact, there was a, a letter to a, a friend I was looking at um, online. It was an atheist talking uh, to an individual. And here's a, here's a, here's a, a snapshot, which gives you a picture. Into, uh, I, th- I thought it was, an, it was an honest atheist. Listen to the conversation. A religious friend once wrote to me asking how I cope with death as an atheist. Her, her father had just died a week or two earlier, as my had years ago. She wrote, he's dead and in the ground. I take great comfort in thinking that he's in, good, in a good place. Do we just become fertilizer? What's the end of the story? I'm not just questioning your beliefs and the why or where of it. I'm just asking what you think is the next step. If you think it's fertilizer, please actually lie to me to make it more interesting. So this is her talking to her atheist friend, okay? For, now, now, this is interesting because the atheist says... No, no, miss this. For all the talk of rationality, intellectual honesty, and objectivity we engage in as atheists, this is one of the most uncomfortable questions we have to wrestle with. I wonder why. You know why? Because what do you do if there's no creator? There's no loving God. So the the challenge is there's no hope. There's no hope for you. There's no hope for others. And even the evil you see, it just happens. Just get away with it. Rapists just get to do that, man. It is what it is. People get to lie and and connive and and make other people suffer and commit genocide. And it is. People get to molest and mutilate babies and do all the things that we see that are horrific and all the horrific things that you and I do, and it just is what it is. You have another camp. You have a camp where, you know, we, we kind of think too much of ourselves. We think that because we're good people, in essence, the world is going to increasingly get better. I'm not going to spend much time on that. Y'all know that's crazy. And then you have... What, you know, another big word, dualism. That's just basically what I was talking about before. That's basically saying that there is a dichotomy in you right now where there is a, you have this separate entity of, of, of body and soul, and God is actually trying to just separate the two because one's actually bad and the other one's good. Okay? And in, 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 in that sense, you, you, you have things kind of like the, the uh, if you're a Christian, there's some popular terms like on the Left Behind series we watch a lot. Uh, and we're kind of, you know, we, fi- we find ourselves practically, if we believe this, we're kind of trying to get through this world. So, and I, I want to propose there's some, there's some struggles there. Right, so the goal is to be pure in spirit. Concept is that, you know, this is not my home, which is actually a theological truth. This is not your home, but I'm proposing it's not your God is going to destroy it, but because God is going to make it new. Another, another assumption that we have, so that's just an assumption of how we think about the future. Some of us are in that camp somewhere, but we have other assumptions, family. We have assumptions about how we think about new creation. We can think about new creation in the sense of there's no hope. 
right? It's going to just get destroyed. Or we're thinking about new creation, kind of thinking new creation. Jesus died on the cross and his salvation was really about me just getting saved. Just me, get, you know, being, you know, becoming new and, and God saving me and doing all this stuff for me. And we, we become kind of selfish in our understanding of new creation. That the world is going to burn and one day I'm going to be with heaven and that's the goal. Praise God. Guys, the reason why I'm pausing and I'm talking about this is because this is kind of troublesome because I think it affects the way we go about how we do our worship. And then we think because of that, heaven is actually our final destination. You still with me? Now, I gave you a lot of assumptions here, and many of you are like, I agree with those assumptions. Why are you dogging my assumptions? Okay, let's look at how God talks. Let's look at how God through Paul talks about what's going to happen in the resurrection. And then I'm going to give you a few points, and we're going to go home. Verse 35, okay? Now, here, this is going to be a lot. You ready? But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? So he wants to bring it up. He wants to bring it up. With what kind of body do they come? I mean, he gets real. What kind of body? What are it going to be like? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. First, mentioning, talking about, hey, that sense of, hey, you need to go to the cross, by the way. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. See what he says there? He literally, he says, picture a seed, right? A seed, if you have a sunflower plant or you have a rose plant, how does it start? Does it start as a rose plant? No. It started as a seed. And then that seed, as it were, becomes something different, but it's still in essence part of the, what the seed was. And he says in verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of a seed its own body. You see that? For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of humans for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. So, man, just think about that. Think about this is, this is God telling us, what is it going to be like when we, when we die, when we go be with the Lord? He says, but the glory of the heavenly body is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly body is of another. It's another kind of type. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for the stars different from, from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The, light, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven as was the man of dust. So also as those who are of the dust and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have, we have borne the image of the man of dust, we, also, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So who's the man of heaven he's talking about? It's Jesus, right? Now think about that, pause. So what do you see that happens to Jesus? And that's the cool thing is he's saying, I want you to understand Jesus being the first fruits is not just a pithy saying. He's literally saying when Jesus was on a road to Emmaus and he was walking with the people of God, God has given you a glimpse of what it's going to look like one day when you get your resurrected body. He's literally saying that they were walking down and there was something, there's some interesting things that happened when you see the different accounts. 
What are some of the things? First, we realize that the people didn't know the guy, but they kind of did. That's interesting. Right? It was like they walk in, he's sharing stories. He's like, well, what's wrong? Why y'all crying? Well, Jesus, you don't know what happened, man? Don't you, don't you live around here? Like, what's wrong with you? Jesus was just murdered. And then he kept talking. They're like, man. We see different acts in when all of a sudden Jesus is not in the room and he, he's in the room. Oh, my goodness. But wait a minute. He also sits down and starts eating fish. Wait a minute. Can you imagine watching somebody? No, no, no. Think about it. When they saw Jesus, did they go, damn? Well, don't you think they should have? The last time they saw him, he had crowns in his head. Bleeding. He was, you could barely see, you can barely describe what he looked like, right? His flesh was torn apart. His shoulders was ripped apart. Both shoulders broken. Nails in his, in his hands, torn flesh. And yet, for some reason, they're not scared. He says, Thomas, look at my hands. And they don't go, no, Jesus, I'm cool. I don't like to look at flesh. No, Thomas went, whoa, Rabboni. Right? So, you know what? The author's trying to tell us something there. That there's something about the resurrection, as it were, in the seed, that God, he, he, he did something. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, you have the, the now, the, the fleshly age, and you have the not yet, the glorified age, and then God punches a hole and says, I'm bringing in the now yet into the now. And I'm going to start it with my own body. I'm going to pay for sin, and I'm going to walk around, and I'm going to give you a glimpse so you can have hope that one day you won't have asthma like me. One day you won't have allergies, and you can just put your, I mean, give me the, the furriest dog when I get to heaven. I'm going to be like, <laughs> the furriest dog, Lee, I'm telling you. One day, no Claritin, no Zyrtec, none of that stuff. He's trying to give us a glimpse here. He wants you to see that there's something that's, that's powerful that's going to happen to you. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to see that one day, you, just like Jesus, he's going to do something with your body where it's going to be, it's going to be glorified human flesh. He was bodily, and yet he was spiritual at the same time. You know why? Because just like Revelation says that the heavens and the earth, he's making it new and together. That's going to be that this is God's world and that we as people will be on his world in a glorified state. And guess what? He's not just saving you. He's the world. And that's why Romans 8 creation says, I groan for the sons of God to be revealed. Why? Because they know that God is going to not just make us new, but make it new. Creation says one day my leaves won't just fall, but I'll be green. And the lambs and the lions and all these creatures will be fully redeemed in God's glory. It should get us excited. That's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's giving you a challenge to think about this, to think. And he gives you not, he, he says, not just wishful thinking. He rises himself from the dead to show you. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. Look what he says here. 
I tell you this in verse, uh, for a second time, verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all, all be changed. You see that? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. He, he keeps talking imperishable. That the cool thing about your body, it's imperishable. It, it, won't, it won't be destroyed. It'll be glorified forever. That's how you will live if you've given your life to Jesus. You will live forever glorified and, and, and perfect. Why is this important? Let's talk about it in a moment. And we shall be changed for the imperishable set must be, I'm sorry, body must be, must put on the imperishable. And the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Now, let me pause there. Here's what's happening. So the purpose of the resurrection, guys, is to produce a promise of hope. Guys, I'm a movie buff. Two more, com- two more big comments and we're going we're gonna to go home. I'm a movie buff. I love, and if you know me, I love uh, X-Men. I love Marvel comics, right? I don't like the comic books, but I like the movies, all right? And the thing that excites me, you ever go to a movie theater? You know, one of the things I love, I can't stand being late because I love the previews, right? I love to know what's going to come out. And what excites me, man, when I'm sitting there hanging out, maybe it's just me, and you start seeing those pages flap, you know what I'm talking about? That's how it comes on. With Marvel comics, when, when it's a Marvel movie, the Marvel pages start flapping. You're like, oh, dog, what's this going to be? Wolverine? What's gonna, you know, you get all excited. Who's it going to be? Right? That's me. Or maybe, maybe you're, you're a Star Wars guy, right? And you're sitting there and you wonder what's going to happen. What, what, and all of a sudden, it starts Lucasfilm, LTD. And you're like, oh, it's a new one. It's a new one, right? Or, you know, or for the ladies, you know, some of your actors come on and, it starts off with Matt McConaughey, and you're like, oh, oh, okay. Denzel, oh, okay. Oh, what, what, what movie, Denzel? You know, we get kind of excited, and we want to know what the movie's going to be about. We want to, we want, I can't wait to see that, right? Now, you don't go to the theater just to watch the previews, though, right? That'd be dumb. What you watching? Oh, just a bunch of previews? <laughs> right? You don't do that. But what are the goal of the previews? The goal of the preview is to get excited about the real movie that's coming. You hear me? To get you hyped, to give you an inkling of what it's going to be like and what's going to happen. So you go, Mom, that's going to be me. That's what's going to happen. I can't wait for that. The resurrection is nothing but our preview. It is, it is for God to give you an opportunity and me an opportunity, a glimpse into what's going to happen in the not yet when he brings it into the now so that you and I can live victoriously in faith knowing that God got us. See, now you know. Now you know you're going you're gonna to live forever. Now you know God's going to give you a glorified body. Now you know you're not going to have to deal with your sin anymore. Now you know you're not going to have to deal with evil and death and all this stuff. He makes that clear through raising his son from the dead for you and me. He does that so you can now, I can live victorious. I don't have to go, well, God, will you really, pay, will you really, you really got me, Lord? Will you really take care of me, Lord? Well, we, what are you going to do when I die? You don't, you don't have to worry anymore. He gives you the preview so that now you can walk around knowing my Lord rose from the dead and so will I. Guess what else it does? The purpose of the resurrection in itself, guys, it proclaimed that God is good and that he's a good creator. 
think about it. The reason why I bring that stuff up and I try to split hairs, and you might think I'm splitting hairs, but it's a know that God isn't going to destroy the but he's going to make it. You know why? Because if we just thought, oh, the flesh is bad, it's so jacked that we're so sinful, God's going to get rid of it, and we're going to be a spirit somewhere, and the world's so messed up, he's going to get rid of it, and we're going to be in heaven somewhere. You know what that's saying is that God can't redeem something. Satan's a liar. God can and will redeem everything. Everything will be made new. So then Satan can't stand up and go, handle this one. No, made it new. Made it new. I said in the beginning that men were good. I said in the beginning, my creation is good. I didn't lie. It will be good. So literally, God making all things new is to affirm that he's faithful, that he's good. As it were, guys, what he's doing is he's, in essence, that's the beauty of it. I mean, you think about punching Satan in the belly. Man, when he does all this stuff, when you become a Christian, all he, all he reminds Satan is the reversal of the fall. It's the reversal of the fall. Oh, man, Matt was jacked up, and man, now he's new again. Oh, man, he's, yep, I guess God is doing this new creating thing. Man, I guess I have lost. When you share your faith, and someone listens, and, and the Holy Spirit starts, man, it's punching Satan in the belly, reminding him, you've lost. Given new transformed bodies. He redeems the world from, the guys, he doesn't destroy the world. He redeems the world from evil. And finally, we talked about this already. It's a signpost. The purpose of the resurrection is a signpost pointing to God's final picture of glory. Write that address down, Revelation 22, just to get a good picture. 65, Isaiah 55, Romans 8, a picture of, of creation crying out and creation saying, wow, look what God has done and, and seeing what God has done in his world. I can't, it's a beautiful, just a beautiful picture of God's holy land and that, that basically his, his holy land isn't heaven, it's not earth, it's heaven and earth. That's the beauty. So you go, well, what is heaven? You know, what, what, what's heaven? Well, I want to propose to you, heaven is, is a place where God looks after his people between their death and their own final bodily resurrection. So yes, there's a heaven. But I want to propose to you, it's not like way, way out, right? When Jesus ascends, like we don't get the picture that Jesus ascended and like had like little rocket ship things on his feet and kind of, you know, went past earth and went past Pluto. And it was a real, real place, you know, I bought, like right past Osgard, you know what I'm saying? And, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, and then boom, you know, like that's, you know what I'm saying? Like. That's not what's going on here. Like, he ascended, because the scripture talks a lot about uh, the sphere that, I mean, you know, you know what? it talks a lot about God appearing. Do you know why he talks about God appearing? Because it wants to give you the picture of almost this, this world that you see and this world you can't see. And there's a spiritual vellum. There's a vellum, right? And then obviously, if you could just, like, whoa. He's trying to help you see it. So it's not, so it's not that Christ is somewhere and he has to come really far to get here. He appears because when that day happens, boom. He's like, I've always been here. I'm now appearing. It's an issue of revelation. Which I hope that helps us understand the issue of the spiritual realm. This is, this is, this is real. That God has got spirit and, and things are happening. So with all that said, I hope that makes sense. He ends by, by encouraging these people, guys. He's saying, that's what's going to happen. Get excited about that. 
Death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Why? Because just like Jesus, we will all die, but the difference is that we will pass through death. Right? We'll die and we'll be with with the What confidence? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, verse 57, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding. Don't miss this, verse 58. Don't miss this, family. I know we, you've been here a while. I'm so proud of the young people. You've been sitting here for like two hours. Therefore, my beloved, it says, brothers, be steadfast. How do you live in light of this? Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know what he's saying there? If this is true, if this is God's, this is God's stuff, you are God's people. Guess what that means? That means when you do good things and, and you're serving and you, the works of Ephesians, the last verse in chapter 10 talking about the workmanship, that the things that we're doing is like a beautiful quilt. God is saying there's nothing that you do on this earth that's in vain. Because again, it's not that he's going to take in this, this throw it away. He's taking it and in his God work fashion, he's taking all the stuff that you and I are doing and he's moving it and, and massaging it in some way where it's allowing him to continue to usher in his kingdom. If you don't believe me, even think about in Revelation, it talks about the prayers of the saints helping to usher in his kingdom. It should motivate you to go, oh, my life does matter. Oh, my, when I do, when I'm doing and having my being, it's, it's significant. That I'm insignificant but significant at the same time. Whoa. It should allow you to go, oh. So being a doctor does matter. Being a nurse does matter. Being in construction does matter. Right? Being a teacher does matter. Right? Being, being a mom who's raising up these image bearers, man, this stuff matters. Right? Being an architect does matter. Being an engineer does matter. You know, I'm running the local church. That, man, that matters. I'm, I'm serving my neighbor. That matters. I'm bringing food to the homeless. That matters. He doesn't let us know how altogether. But, man, he tells you, he says, your work is not in vain because of the resurrection. So the purpose of the resurrection, it validates the gospel family. It produces the promise of hope. It proclaims that God is good. And it's a signpost. It's a, it's a little preview, hopefully hyping you up for the main, the main attraction. And that is when God hooks you up with your glorified body. Let's respond in prayer. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would allow live in light of your truth there's anyone in here right now who, who still has not experienced that, that dying with you and being raised with you spiritually, Lord, would you allow that Lord, would you allow no one to leave here still unsaved? Lord Jesus, we pray you would allow those of us who are walking with you to be just deeply moved by your scriptures and to want to Live a passionate life, empowered by the Spirit, motivated by grace, that allows you to be made much of. May the resurrection matter. May we now know some of its purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.